You have a hopeful week this week? Or did your hope begin to shake? Um, so we are uh, looking, this is theme Sunday, so we're going to look at our theme for 2019. We've been looking at 2018 was our year of increasing trust, and we're going to look back a little bit at some of the things we uh, learned along the way. But I want you to take one minute, think about what is something, now those of you who are here for the first time have a pass on this, but the rest of you, what's something that you learned and hopefully did as a result of our times together, our preaching or the other things you learned in services, or maybe in your small group, but uh, what what did you learn and what did you especially obey or change your attitude or encourage? Think about something. Anything in the last year. And I want you to turn to somebody and tell them what it was. Find somebody if you're sitting too far away. And if you weren't in this church, you can talk about what you learned at some other church. But... Uh, Okay, so you had something to talk about. I hope it was actually something you learned. Well, we've had some times of increasing trust, some different challenges, and as I look out in the congregation, I can think about challenges that you had in your lives for increasing trust, think about things that I learned. You know, I didn't get to hear as many sermons as you did because I had to prepare them, a lot of them, but uh, I learned a lot both ways when I was listening and when I was preparing. So I want us to think a little bit about some of the things we learn in some of the what we were doing, and, and also think about what is our 2019 theme, because um, it's building on what stuff we've already been talking about. So 2019 theme is, well, we don't know yet. Um, Pastor Jim was much better at this, but uh, a theme. It's a theme found through the whole Bible. Um, just this week, and I want you to review some of the things we went over, okay? So we're going to go look at some of the sections of things we talked about. Remember, we spent four weeks talking about justice and mission in the whole Bible. Remember that piece? And we talked about how relationships, as God created them, just and right and blessed. So remember that when I started speaking here at the time as uh, two and a half or more years ago as, as interim pastor, we started in Genesis, talked about how God had created just and right relationships and blessed people in the beginning. And how all those led to unjust relationships. In Genesis 3, they rebelled against God and did not do what he said. And they, that led to unjust relationships. Um, we talked about how that moved from family to the society to international relationships between nations, tribes, ethnic groups, etc. And then we talked about God intervening. And his plan was to build a great, just, holy nation kingdom. How he at, invited Abraham selected him and said he's going to bless him and make him a great nation. And through him, he was going to bless all ethnic groups. And we talked about how all ethnic groups had that kind of pyramid shape, that unjust shape, and this was going to be a different kind of one. Um, and we looked a little at this, this scripture, but I wanted to, to us to look at it again today. So <clears throat> Genesis 18, you remember Abraham 
shows us how to welcome strangers so that they become friends. He sees somebody way out there, and he runs out and grabs them. Hey, come on over here. He makes a big dinner for him, has his wife, and they, they give him the best food they have. He shows the way that you should welcome strangers. And, and uh, then as they're leaving, turns out this is actually God that showed up with him, along with some angels. And he says, talking to himself, says, the Lord, Yahweh says, should I hide my plan from Abraham? So to himself, he says, for Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out. I have chosen him. Or it says, I have known him so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So I want, you to, want us to take apart some of this. But you can see where God is reaffirming this promise. He said he was going to bless him. And all nations are going to be blessed through him. We talk about how we're a house of prayer for all nations. And we really believe that God has called us as children of Abraham to bless all nations. Now, together with the whole church. We may not get to every nation, but we've got a whole lot of nations right here. And a lot of you have contacts with a lot of other nations. We're sending some people off to some other nations. We're, it's been cool to see how God has been able to bless a lot of nations through just even this one congregation, much less the church. Um, but you notice that he, he's going to do that. He's going to do for him what he's promised. But there are some things, he says, then I'll do that. He's chosen him so that he'll do this other thing. So how does that fit together? So I want you to think about how he was chosen and selected. I want you to think about that you have been chosen, selected, welcomed into the family. By a loving father. You are part of this family. And this family is how God plans to bless the nations. We're going to talk a little bit more about how family works. We talk about that strangers become friends, become family. Chosen, known, selected. God's grace has reached you. And I know a lot of us feel kind of alienated and out and, and disconnected. This is where we get to be home. We're a home of prayer. We're a home for all nations. Um, and then it says, I want you to walk in the way of Yahweh. You see the, you see the little girl there trying to uh, match her dad's footsteps? You ever remember doing that, like walking in deep snow and trying to keep up with your dad and kind of doing that? Trying to, trying to walk in his footsteps? It's hard because he's got big footsteps. But we try because we want to be like dad. So walking in the way of Yahweh or walking in the way of the Lord means to do that. To walk the way that God will walk in the way that he does. How does he do things? Or it could also mean the way of Yahweh like he drew a map. And he said, here's the way you should go. Go that way. Both of those senses are there in walking in the way of the Lord. And that, that's a, a phrase that's common throughout. And it's in contrast to the way of Sodom. The way of the Lord is different from the way of Sodom, which is the contrast here. So that's uh, my dad and my twins. Um, they're trying to imitate Grandpa. We try to imitate our father. 
try to be like him. What is he like? Um, so I want you to see that we're chosen in this passage. I'm going to back up to it so you can see this. All the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families. We are that family, right? We're that family. He's chosen us so that we could keep the way of the Lord, which is by doing what is right and just. That is the way of the Lord because that's the footsteps that God has. That's the map that he's drawn, doing what's right and just. Then... I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So, doing our chosenness causes us to do what's right and blessed. It's so that we can, we were selected, you were selected by grace to do what's right and just so that you can be a blessing. God's mission, his desire from the beginning is to bless all nations. How is he going to do that? By us following in his footsteps, doing what's right and just. If you want to put it a different way, his grace comes so we can do justice and righteousness so that we can do mission. How is he going to get his mission done? By us walking in his ways, doing what's right and just. And how, how is that going to happen? By, by choosing us, by selecting us, by giving us grace. And so all of those pieces are important. We need to remember that we have been chosen selected, not because of anything we did, but we've been selected and, and God knows us. He wants to know us. He wants us to know him and who he is and what he's like. And he wants us to be like him. And that is going to give us a mission. But we, we need each of those elements. You see how they build together? So that we can bless the nations? The next he goes on and says, So the Lord told Abram, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom. And that word great outcry is almost like the word for justice and righteousness. But it's, it's a little different. It's very, well, it's very different. It sounds the same, but it's the exact opposite. And it means a cry from the oppressed. A cry from those who have been pushed down by Sodom. Because Sodom, as we look in other scriptures, it says they were arrogant and overfed and underconcerned about the poor. They were overproud. And they were oppressing others. And that was the cry that God heard. We hear this again, same word, when God hears the cry of the Israelites in Egypt. They're crying out from their oppression. And he responds with justice. So I've heard a great outcry because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. And then it goes on a little bit. The others go down to Sodom. But the Lord remained with Abram. Abram approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Why, you'd be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And you see Abram's insight to who God is. God is a God of justice. He's a righteous judge. He does what is right and what's just. So if we're walking in his ways, that's why we have to do what's right and just. And here's Abram being a man of prayer for all nations. He doesn't quite have a family of prayer yet or a house of prayer yet for all nations. But he's praying for Sodom, for wicked Sodom. 
He's praying that God would do justice, would, break, would, would save the righteous, would save Sodom if he, if he could, if there was enough righteousness. And there's this negotiation that goes on. But it gives us a clue to who God is that that's what he wants to do. So um, this is kind of an overview of what, what it says about God related to justice in um, the Old Testament. God displays justice because he is just. He shows us what justice is because God is the just judge. Just as he says, he does what is just. So if we watch what God does, for, for instance, it says he, he's the father of the fatherless and the defender of widows. And, and he says, you need to welcome the aliens because I saved you when you were aliens. You need to be kind to the slaves because I brought you out of slavery. What he does, he displays what justice is by what he does. God also demands justice. He says, follow my footsteps. You saw what I was doing? You saw how I did this? You saw how I brought you out of Egypt as aliens? You do that. And then ultimately God will deliver justice. So this is um, out of Chris Wright. I had several books of his I was looking at. but um, So God will ultimately deliver justice. Now, the difficulty is they get in this situation where there's this demand for justice, but then as we follow the history of Israel, they get kings, you know, Psalm 72 says, that may the king love justice, may he defend the poor and the alien, and the, and, but it doesn't work out that way. And so they long for this justice, and God ultimately says he's going to deliver it. And we're going we're gonna to take a couple weeks. We're going to talk about that some next week, but God will deliver justice. Now, um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And uh, Chester Wood, my, my mentor when I was, I was his TA back at Bethel. So over 35 years ago, not because I'm old, but it was over 35 years ago when I was in college, um, I had a class called Biblical Theology of Poverty, another one called Biblical Theology of Justice. We looked at what was happening in the world, and we looked at what the Bible said about that. And uh, so this verse became, this theme of justice and righteousness became really important to me. Um, now, the rest of the world's catching up. I talked to, to Dr. Chester Wood. Uh, I looked at a few of his videos online. You can look at In Paths of Righteousness. You want to see some of his teaching online. I, I called him up this week and said, hey, I'm working on this. Um, what are you talking about? He, he said, I said, did you hear that uh, Merriam-Webster, this is actually Ben tipped me off to this. I told him what the theme was. I, I told a few people what the theme was. Um, but he said, uh, he told me, did you hear that justice is the word of the year for 2018? So Merriam-Webster looks at how many people look up that word on their website, and it was like one of the top words. Not only was it one of the top words, but it rose 72% last year. People are trying to figure out what is justice. They're trying to look it up and say, we're talking about justice, social justice, racial justice, and economic justice, the justice department, a justice, somebody coming in. To, what, what is justice? So they're looking it up to see if Merriam-Webster knows what justice is. And they have an idea. Um, and we're also debating what justice is. This, this week, President Trump gave an address, and he ended it by saying, this is a matter of right and wrong, justice and injustice. He said some people say a wall is immoral. He was, he was saying that we need a wall. 
It's a matter of just in on the southern border. It's a matter of justice and injustice. And some people say it's immoral, but it's not. Democrats, of course, came on and said the opposite. So what is justice? How do we know? And how do we get it? Well, our, our leaders are having a big debate about what justice is. Is justice building a wall or not building a wall? How do we get it? Well, the government's not going to get it for you. Not this week, anyway. Because they shut down. Not only could they not figure it out, they just decided to give up and shut down. So the government's not going to bring you justice this week. In fact, unfortunately, Pastor Mike had his, uh, his court date this week. Remember, he was, after six years, he was finally going to get his court date to, to get, seek asylum. And in July, he got it. And uh, then they did all kinds of messing around with motions, and it delayed it until January. Well, the government shut down, so there was no court date. Um, no justice for Pastor Mike this week. His family's fled Congo to, uh, to get to Uganda because things are tough. And those of you who know the news from Congo, Congo had an election, finally, after 18 years. And uh, two years after the election was supposed to happen, and then delayed another week, and then they had an election, and Kabila's person did not win. Um, the person who maybe did win didn't get the election commission. So there's no justice for Pastor Mike or us in Congo. There's not necessarily justice here either. Where are we going to find justice? And what is it anyway? So let's look a little bit at what justice is here. Because I think God knows what justice is. Not only that, he showed us what justice is. He did it. And then he revealed it. And he knows what justice is. Um, so we're taking two words, justice and righteousness. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how justice and righteousness are a little, a little confused when we try to understand what the Bible is saying about justice and righteousness. I'll, I'll explain why. Partially because it's a big term. And partially because those two terms get a little mixed up for us. So here's, here's a little background in Scripture. So righteousness and its cognates in the Bible der derives from the Hebrew word sedek, so sedekah, etc. I don't know Hebrew, so that's the closest I can get. Um, which was usually translated in the Septuagint as dikaiosune. I used to know Greek. but uh, um, So dikaiosune comes from sedekah, which is often translated justice, mishpat, or shpat, those kind of words are, are uh, used for justice, um, but I shouldn't need, hardly even put those words up because it doesn't, our concepts and our words don't really quite fit. So those two words, and they're often used together, like law and order, like justice and righteousness, like you saw, do what is right and just. They're used together to give the picture of the whole concept. So a little more detail. So Sedekah, or what he said here might be sometimes translated righteousness, the root meaning is probably straight. You know, so straight paths for the sheep, sheep, paths of righteousness. And you should use sedekah, straight um, measures and weights. Leviticus 19 says, so this tells you what a foot is. You can be, now if, if everybody uses the same measure, then when you build the house, 
it matches what the plans were for the house. And then when you go to put a nail in the wall to hang your picture up, you know it's 16 inches on center because that's where the guy put the things, or he should have put the things, right? You should be able to measure where that nail is supposed to go because it should be 60, or maybe it's two feet on center, but you know where it's supposed to be because they followed the right measures. And it, it says in Leviticus that you should have accurate, just, straight, righteous measures. Because, um, and when you're going to put, when you're going to build the wall, you, you got to, it really helps to build it straight. It's less likely to fall over if you build it straight. And, and if you, and if you put it, so in my house in Tanzania, um, I had a straight line, you know, a chalk line, and I got somebody to come and help, help put, lay tile down, and I, and I tried to show them how to do this, so I said, no, so now here's, here's the thing, you got this, here's the hallway, so you measure it, well, let's figure out what the middle is, and then we're going to measure over, this is five inches, and then you snap a line, and then you, you do it like that, right? So I went to town, came back, he had measured five inches from this side, and then went down here, and measured five inches over here, and then he snapped the line, and it was, it was straight. It just wasn't straight with a hall. It just kind of went like that. And that's the problem. If you don't have the right standard, if your straight, straight line isn't straight, then things end up crooked, twisted, right? We, we, um, we went to Tanzania, moved to Tanzania. Some of you remember. Some of you were waiting at the gate for us. I'm trying to figure out where we were. Well, we were in line. Yeah, they're laughing. We were in line because uh, we weighed all our bags, our nine bags, on our bathroom scale. And uh, figured out all, you know, we're moving to Tanzania. We get nine bags. We get all of our lives into nine, nine bags. And um, we get to the counter and they say those are all eight pounds, nine pounds, seven pounds overweight. <sighs> so we had to repack everything right there and throw some out and put some in another bag and, and uh, we barely had time to hug people as we rushed on the plane to go miss another flight and et cetera. But anyways, um, that, that's another story for another day. But the problem was that our standard wasn't up to standard. And the reason it emphasizes that you have to have accurate weights and measures is that if people had a different size thing, they could give you a little less grain than you were actually paying for. If their weight was a little light, they could give you a little less of the food you were buying because it looked like it was a pound, but it wasn't really a pound. That's why righteousness is this standard of what is right, what is straight, what is level, what is true. So that is righteousness. Um, when it comes to relationships, it's speaking of conformity to what's right or expected in a relationship. What, what is a king supposed to do? Well, a king's supposed to take care of the poor and the alien and love justice. What's a, what's a husband supposed to do? What's a wife supposed to do? What's a child supposed to do? All those things are right when you do what they're supposed to do in this relationship, in this situation. That's righteousness. The other word is shpat or mishpat is justice. And that has to do with everything related to legal stuff and the court. And um, he's coming to judge the earth, for example, it said. That was the word, 
So those words, right and just, were shvat and and tzedek. Um, so there's a great deal of overlap and interchangeability between the two words. But if there is any distinction, one might put it like this. Mishpat is what needs to be done in a given situation if people and circumstances are to be restored to conformity with tzedakah. So justice is what's done to restore people to righteousness. That makes sense. Again, the translations aren't good. Mishpat is a set of actions, something you do. Tzedakah is a state of affairs, something you aim to achieve. But actually both words can be used for practical actions. So in 1819 it says, do what is right and just. Like we said, law and order. He says, if possibly the nearest English equivalent to the Hebrew double word phrase would be social justice. Even that phrase, however, is somewhat too abstract for the dynamic nature of the pair of Hebrew words. For Siddiquah and Himishpat are concrete nouns, unlike the English abstract nouns used to translate them. That is, in Old Testament thinking, righteousness and justice are actual actions that you do, not concepts you reflect on or an ideal you dream about. You do justice. You do righteousness. You live justly. You live righteously. You don't just talk about it or protest about it or vote about it. You do it. You live it. You make it happen. And if it's not, it's going to be crooked. And here's part of the difficulty when it comes to English. So Dikai Asune, we said, was the the translation of uh, in, the, in the Septuagint. So in the New Testament, this word's used a lot as well. And often translated righteous. Sometimes though it's translated just. Why? Because English from Latin, we use justice and just and to justify. English from German, we use righteousness, righteous and to make righteous. So the translators are using this one word and kind of saying, ah, that seems a little more like righteous. Uh, maybe that's more like justice. And so then we miss that it's the same word, sometimes translated righteousness, sometimes translated justice, but we need to be living righteous and just. So let's, let's try to get at the concept. So here's what you think it is as a kid anyways. It's being fair. I'm not supposed to do the dishes every night. You're supposed to do the dishes sometimes. Or else mom's supposed to do them all the time. That's fine with us. But uh, fairness. But the star of justice from Chesterwood, this is trying to get at the whole concept of what's in those two words and what's in Scripture. And, and of course, it's paired with other interesting things. You know that it's often paired with hesed? God's unfailing love, his steadfast love. We don't always think of righteousness and justice being paired with that, do we? But it's part of his covenant commitment. So anyway, the star of justice has these different elements. So we talked about the standard. The standard is what is right. And conduct is if you do what fits the standard. If you're using right weights, and measures, you're meeting, your conduct is meeting the standard. And you're doing what's fair. Right? Um, if you don't do the right conduct, you might be brought to court.
Forensic just means anything to do with court. Judges and justice and all that stuff. You might be brought to court because your conduct doesn't meet the standards. So the, the law that God gave, you're supposed to follow that standard so you can be righteous, so you can be just. If your conduct doesn't meet it, you might end up in court saying, hey, you stole, and the Bible says don't steal. So now you need to restore four times to the person you stole from so that you can be righteous again, all right? And the response to that is maybe retributive justice. To say, you stole, you need to pay four times as much. It's also distributive justice. The person who got stolen from needs to be given four times as much. They need to have restored to them what was taken from them. You following me? So all of these things go together. And all of that has to be judged with fairness. It has to be done justly. It's not just a matter of having court. It's a matter of having court justly. It's not just a matter of punishing. It's a matter of punishing justly. Right? So you remember our, our case with the retributive and distributive justice. We talked about God's hand in Exodus, right? Talked about God's outstretched hand. In fact, let's just move on. I said we were going to do a little review. Remember in Exodus, they, the children of Israel were imprisoned and they were having their children killed and they were crying out to God because of their oppression and their injustice. And God reached out his hand the great, the just judge, and with the back of his hands, he smote the, the Egyptians and the gods of Egypt and the whole system, whoops, the whole system of Egypt because they were oppressing. And with the palm of his hands, he lifted up and freed these slaves, these Israelites, who was faithful to his covenant. He delivered them from slavery, from Egypt. That's distributive justice. But the retributive justice against the oppressor was necessary to deliver and give and, and bless them. You following us? Remembering what we've gone through here? Last year was mostly Exodus. We had some great times talking about our relationship with God and him knowing us. We had started out in Joseph. But freedom from slavery in Egypt was both distributive to them and retributive against the gods and the, and the Pharaoh and other leaders of Egypt. They were judged. And then God taught them some lessons in the desert, some lessons of trust. And there was distributive justice of God giving manna, giving them what they needed, of God sending protection when they were attacked, of God giving water. And they learned to trust God for his justice, for delivering them. And then we moved on to God's vision for his people in 10 words. We began looking at the law. The law, which is God's standard, which says this is what justice is. You want to know what justice is in relationship to sex? Sex in marriage. That is just. You want to know what? Don't steal. Don't covet. But remember that we talked about justice in all the relationships. Do you remember that justice and righteousness is a right relationship with God as well as with other people? as well as with creation. It's right relationships and all those things. So you're, you're supposed to rest because God rested. You're supposed to rest because you're supposed to let your slaves and other people rest like you were freed. And you're supposed to let your donkey rest. Give them a break. It's just relationship with in each situation. And 
So in our world, we get little pieces of this. And people take off one piece and they fight over it. Right? And they take the part of this that they like and they leave out the part they don't like. Right? So when we're talking about justice, we want justice for women who are in crisis situations like we heard. And we want justice for un unborn children as well. We want justice for the poor and the alien and the marginalized. We want justice for all the people in our family, whether they live in America or they live in Congo or they live in Honduras. We want justice for... So the thing is that people carve out a little pieces. A lot of people get excited about social justice, but they don't want to hear about God. My relationship with God is none of your business. Don't talk to me about that. But social justice, that's important. Yeah, it's important. It's important because God thinks it's important. And you're never going to get to justice without God. Sorry. You're never going to know righteousness without justice and justice without righteousness. You got to have it all. So the other side is, I go to church. I pay my tithes. Don't bother me with this racial justice stuff. God and I are good. Or I have my personal relationship with God. I don't need to be part of a family. I don't need to be a part of a church. Um, so, this is quick overview. Again, what does a nation need? They need a God. They need a people. And God chose them. Israel took that place of, of Abram so that they were chosen, so they could be a blessing. But in order to be a blessing, they had to be just and righteous. They had to walk in the way of the Lord, the God who would deliver them. Be just. Be righteous. He called them from as a treasure from all the peoples on earth, because that all the earth belongs to me, you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. We've talked about that. Gave them the just culture at Sinai, which we're going to look at some more in Leviticus coming up. Um, Leviticus 19 says this, I am the Lord your God, so do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live, or like the people of Canaan where I'm taking you, or the people of Sodom. You must not imitate their way of life. Their way is not the way. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey all my decrees, for I am Yahweh, your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. We're uh, radiating life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations, as a just home, a righteous family. You believe that? You probably don't read Leviticus, so you never know that was in there. But um, it does say that this actually, you'll find life through doing this. So it's worth reading what he wants us to do. He, there is life in this. There is a way of life that he wants us to enter into, that he wants to bless. And he wants to show us how, but not only that, he's giving us his life so that we can live that. His character. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Who knows the, the reference on that? Say it again. Micah 6, 8. We all said it together so I couldn't hear you. Right. That's what God wants. 
He wants us to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, and they go together. Humility really helps. <laughs> um, and sometimes there isn't so much when it comes to people claiming they're doing the just thing, or you should do it for us. Um, do justice. Brian Stevenson, we had a conference on, the, on do justice based on that scripture. He gave us these uh, tips for how to do it. Power of proximity. He talked about how he didn't know what he was doing with his life until he went to meet with inmates on death row. And finding out, his first inmate he met with who had the same birthday and was really a good guy, and he was like, well, what's going on? That power of proximity made a difference. And this is one of the things I think is so cool about our church. We have the power of proximity. Congo is a lot closer to you than it is for a lot of people. Because you know a lot of Congolese and a lot of other countries. We could, we could be illustrating with a lot of other countries, but it's close because we have people here from there. We have sent people other places. Japan's closer because Ray Meek is there. We could go down the list of people who we have had here and who are coming and going from here. But the power of proximity. And this year, I hope we can get a little closer. A little closer proximity to each other. So that we can increase that power of proximity. But I think it's amazing what you all put up with. Being next to people like me. Really confused people like me. And then some of you know who you are, but uh, there's also being uncomfortable, because that sometimes goes with the power of proximity. It's a lot easier to be with people like you. People similar, economic, ethnic, location, education, gender. It's okay. It's all right to be with people like you. But you'll learn a little more sometimes when you get a little uncomfortable. And we can't live justice, do justice, without being a little uncomfortable. And Pastor Andrew likes to tell people in the doorways to ministry, you should be uncomfortable maybe 40% of the time. If it gets to be 90%, let us know. But uh, we expect this place to be a little uncomfortable because that's how you learn. Um, Mesereau calls it uh, disorientation, a disorienting dilemma. So the truth is not everybody in this room believes the same thing about a lot of stuff. Not everybody in this room believes the same thing about Trump, whether we should have a wall. Not everybody in this room believes the same thing about um, any matter of, the, of these social justice things or, or other things or how we have righteousness. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because I need somebody who disagrees with me, a frenemy. Somebody back there was giving me a clue that we should emphasize that we have frenemies in this congregation. That we get to sit across the table with somebody who disagrees with us. And somebody who's got a totally different experience from us. And we get to learn from them and say, well, how can you think that? And they can explain it to us. And then we can go, oh, I can see how you can think that. I don't think that still, but I'm, I'm starting to get it. How you could think that anyways. That's the beauty of this congregation. And um, when I was talking to, um, to Chesterwood, he was telling me, you know that you're in a good place in that congregation, that little congregation of yours. That's the kind of place 
that shows what God's about. This is the kind of place we get to see what justice could look like, what righteousness could be. We get to follow people and people who've, who've moved, you know? There's a bunch of people in this congregation who came here, the Holmgrens, they came here from Iowa. The Twin Cities was a big deal. Going, coming up to the Twin Cities. But, and they came to this nice little Scandinavian congregation with their former pastor from Iowa, and it was kind of okay. And then this congregation's kept moving on them. And they, you know, and they've lived in Frogtown, tried to figure that out, and they've tried to figure out how to have a daughter-in-law from, from a Hmong daughter-in-law, a daughter-in-law from the Philippines, and they try to figure out how to do that. And the rest of you, too. We've been moving, changing. And some of you came from other places to try to figure us, us people who've been here since from Iowa and uh, northern Minnesota and stuff. Um, then we need to change narratives. We, he said we need to change the stories and the myths that we tell ourselves. The one he mentioned was that white people are better somehow. They're just a little smarter. They're just a little... That's a narrative that's in our in our uh, society. We need to change that. And you really change it when you meet somebody and you go, wow, they're really smart. And they're not, I didn't think they'd be that smart. Right? I mean, uh, there's all kinds of narratives. Like the narrative that, anyway, we talk about those. We've been talking about them. The other one is we need to keep hope. And you know what? I'm not very hopeful about the government bringing justice. But I'm hopeful about the church bringing justice. I'm hopeful about this church, Bethel Christian Fellowship. Now, we are way far from where we want to be, okay? We're, we're, we're still jumping, trying to, trying to get to those footsteps. But we're making steps. We're getting closer. And, you know, I am not as close with each of you as I'd like to be. And some of you who are frenemies I should learn more from. Um, but I know a lot more than I did even three years ago. And we are, I think, making progress. And I think this is a fantastic place to make progress and to be a family and to eat together and to change trade stories. Even if it's a little uncomfortable even if you don't like their food as much as your mother's food. It's still, you might even find some food you like better than your mother's food. There's a Kenyan proverb that says, the one who's never traveled thinks his mother is the best cook. Um, and uh, you just might find some other food that's pretty good. Um, even if you still like your mother's food. So sitting around this table, this communion table and our tables in our houses and running into each other is a hopeful place for me. And I hope for you too. God has done something a bit unusual here. We're not the only ones. I'm not trying to be so proud. There's other, other churches like this. Chet was mentioning a church in downtown Indianapolis that on the wrong side of town that's pretty cool. Mix of black and whites and Pentecostal church he likes to go to more than his own church. <laughs> But this is a place that God is doing stuff. 
And he wants to do more. He wants us living justice and righteousness. As a people. As individuals. And he wants us spreading that into our society. Not just, and I could have said doing justice, but it's more than doing, because that sounds like it's, I like the activeness of doing justice and righteousness, but then it sounds like that's something I do and I just, you know, I just do it and it, it's not an ongoing thing. And it doesn't change who I am. But God wants us to live, breathe, stepping in his ways, his righteous, righteous just ways. And not just as an individual, but together. And then people can see us and go, you know, that's not what I expected. I remember language school years ago, this priest saying, you know, you're a Pentecostal and you're into justice. I don't think that was possible. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like that. I th you know, I thought you evangelicals hated those people. And I thought you didn't hang out with those people. And I thought you, you know what I'm saying? We get to break expectations by just being us and trying to follow in our Father's footsteps. And you know what? I do not have the answers for this. How to live justice and righteousness, even for us, much less to spread it to our community. I don't know. But I have this. And I have a living, just, righteous God. That's the other part of living, justice and right. He is living justice and righteousness. And he's going to live his justice and righteousness through us so that we can do what is right and just as we follow in his ways, as he fills us. Already what has happened in this congregation is a miracle. I know we can look at how far we have to go, and I easily do that for myself and for the congregation and anything else. I'm kind of a perfectionist. I'd like to see how much is left. We're not perfect. We're a family. As I've said, a dysfunctional family. Because we come from a dysfunctional families. But we've got a great father who is holy and just, who's living righteousness and justice, and he's living it through us a step at a time. He's changing us a little at a time. And I see it in you. I see it in your relationships. I see you struggle with it. You know, we have to share a kitchen as a family with eight congregations sometimes. And they don't have the same standards that we do. And they cook other food that, you know, and it gets messy in ways we didn't like and things don't get put back or they get used up or whatever. Living as a family is not easy. Deciding who does the dishes is kind of tough but we can figure it out. And we're figuring it out. And we get to have some great food. We really do. Um, so 2019 year is a year of living justice. I could have said justice and righteousness, but it's all included in justice, all right? Since, the, since neither of those words are perfect, I'm picking one to cover it all. Justice and righteousness with God with each other as individuals in our relationships, in the structures in our society, in our relationship with the environment, all of it 
2019, I want us, I want to see us living justice in a new way. And I want some other people to be blessed, some other nations to be blessed because we are living justice. This week, we're going to send some money to Tanzania for some widows and orphans. Almost $2,000 you guys gave. We're going to send Pastor Jim off to some other places with some uh, former child soldiers from the LRA. We're going to welcome some people in some new ways. We're going to do some stuff that's going to take us one step closer to living justice and righteousness. Can I have the worship team come up? Lord, we are so grateful that you are just and righteous, that we can have hope because you are with us, because you have demonstrated with your outstretched arm taking down the unjust and lifting up the weak and the marginalized and the poor. You have lifted us up. You have made us righteous and just with you. As that song we sang earlier that we were on death row, but you freed us through your justice and your righteousness and your sacrifice in bringing justice. Jesus, we are so grateful to be part of this family and this community. We are so thankful to have a place where we can figure it out, where we can be loved and disciplined and shown another way and seen some models. I pray that you would do what we can't do. We admit that we don't know how to do it. But you can do it in us. You can show us through yourself, through brothers and sisters. You can do it in us and through us. And we ask you in 2019, help us to live justice and live righteousness. Because we want to be like you. And we want to have a people that reflect you in a greater way. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for forgiving us and justifying us in your presence. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit and enabling us to bring justice and blessing to the nations. We ask you, please, to do what you want to do. Free us. Deliver us. Make us a blessing. Help us to bring shalom to the nations. 